JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, he's a friend of the show, the former PGA of America president. He is the pro down at Legends. He's an all-around fantastic guy. Let's bring on board Ted Bishop. Hello, Ted. How are you doing? I'm good, JMB. How are you? Um, did everything turn out okay? And I know I bring this up because I know between you and I, we have a great deal of love for the community of Whiteland that got hit incredibly hard a little bit north of you and a little bit east of me this past weekend. How did things go for you at the course? You know what? We had uh, some storm damage, uh, but certainly things that we were uh, able to clean up and, and take care of and not nearly as bad as it was just a couple of miles north of uh, the golf course in Whiteland, as you mentioned. And, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of people up there dealing with some tough stuff. Yeah, and you, you mentioned this, too, literally a couple of miles north. Because what is that, Graham Road that goes north of you right there when that runs into Whiteland Road? That's That was, I, I think, pretty much in and around the epicenter of all that heavy damage occurred. Yeah, it, it, it really was. In fact, uh, Glenn Gant, one of my longtime maintenance um employees lost his house and and everything uh he lived in park forest district so yeah it's uh you're you know as bad as it was you're still very thankful that uh, it wasn't worse than what it could have been um and you're still coaching up golf correct yep we uh we're supposed to have our first match tonight against franklin central and that's been postponed to uh tomorrow night and uh, hopefully it'll be a three-way match with whiteland and and franklin central and and us in franklin and we've got a 17-team uh, Invitational that we're going to host here at the Legends on Saturday for uh, Greenwood. So, we're yeah, we're ready to go. High school-wise, how have you seen we, – we've talked about this before in, in terms of just um, how the golf game has was growing, certainly around, you know, the, the whole evolution of, of Tiger Woods becoming, you know, what Tiger Woods certainly was. And, and now just with the legendary play of the past of Tiger Woods. But on the high school level, how have you seen that? portion of golf and the love of golf evolve just right before you well you know that's a great question of course we hosted the uh, boys and girls state championships here jmv from 2000 to 2015 and there were some uh, very good players that played here patrick rogers played here tyler duncan played here as a matter of fact tyler duncan holds the uh, ihsa scoring record for the boys in the state tournament with a 63 that he shot here at the legends and without question uh, i've been coaching golf going all the way back to green county when you were there yep. when i was coaching minors in the late 80s and uh, the quality of play has definitely gotten better 
a lot of good players. And you know, I would take a program like Center Grove. I think they have 31 guys that are on their team trying to make that squad. And uh, the depth that that team has is incredible. I mean, they've got they've got guys playing on their third team that could start for most programs in the state of Indiana. But the players are better. I'd use our players as an example. They work out three days a week in the winter. They're stronger. They hit it farther. And uh, it's it's a better game than what it was 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, no doubt about that. Well, it, certainly it has. I mentioned the evolution of the game and the personalities. Uh, it has certainly done that in the past year in professional golf, has it not? And I, how do you view the Masters beginning tomorrow with you know PGA players, those professionals in mind, compared to the the live golfers in mind? Is there going to be a back and forth here? Is there a storyline that we need to cover regarding that for the weekend? Well, you know, I think there is, and I think I watched Fred Ridley's, uh, the chairman's press conference today, and he did everything the right way. I mean, he tried to put the emphasis on the tournament and take it away from Liv, but it was interesting. Greg Norman, who, of course, is the commissioner of Liv Golf, was not invited to the Masters, uh, and Ridley said there really wasn't a lot of controversy there. Uh, Norman had only been there two out of the last 11 years, and one of which he was working as a TV commentator. And, of course, Norman made some statements that if a live player wins, all the live guys are going to be waiting there on the 18th green when they come off to you know have a big celebration. So I, I think at the end of the day, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. But I also think that uh, in, in listening to some of the commentators on Golf Channel, they're far closer to what's going on than I am. They were just talking about how out of form they felt like that some of the top live players were based on where they've been playing. And uh, Dustin Johnson was one that they thought was was not playing very well right now. Uh, Kepka won last week in, in Orlando uh, in a field that really wasn't much. And, and there was a great line today, JMB, by, uh, that Nicholas always kind of stood on. You don't find your game at Augusta National, you bring it. And I think that the lack of really quality competition by those guys on the live tour is going to show up this weekend. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure any of those guys are going to be much of a factor. Well, and, and Ted Bishop joins us talking Masters and more on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Little inspiration, especially for the uh, the PGAers in mind, with what you just said that, that Greg Norman had to say about a celebration if a live player were fortunate enough to win this tournament. Is that even more inspiration? I mean, obviously they're going individually for themselves here, but is, is there a thought regarding that in their mind on this too, or are they just playing how they normally play? No, I think the, the win in the Masters means too much to all those guys for that to even really be much of a secondary thought. Uh, I, I don't think that's the case whatsoever. I still think that of the four majors, um, most guys would say that the Masters would be their first choice to win. Uh, maybe a few would would say the U.S. Open, but so no, I don't. I don't really think that's going to be much of a of a factor. I mean, the big story this weekend, I think, will be Rory McIlroy. He needs the Masters to complete to complete the career Grand Slam, and that would mean that he would have won all four of the majors, the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, the PGA Championship, and now the Masters. The Masters is what he what he lacks. And 
he has been in good form. He's been playing real well um, as of late. He had a well-publicized driver switch where he went to a shorter driver with a lighter shaft, and, and he actually hit a drive in the match play on the 18th hole, 360 yards onto a par four. So he's, he's a guy I think that uh, a lot of people are certainly going to have their eye on. Who else you liking? Who are you going to have your eyeballs on? Yeah, hopefully for the entirety of the Masters, but certainly at the beginning coming up tomorrow. Well, you know, that's such a tough question. I mean, I, I really – I got to know McElroy very well when I was PGA president. Uh, had a chance to play golf with him four or five times. And, I mean, he would be the guy that I really would would like to see win. But I, I'll tell you what, man, there have been so many young players. And if there's been one thing that's been good about Liv – is it's opened up the opportunity on the PGA Tour for um, a, a lot of new players that are really not household names at this point. And I would not be surprised to see somebody come out of the pack, so to speak, to win. But Scotty Scheffler, the defending champion, I mean, he's, he's going to be a factor for sure. A lot of people like Max Homa. Um, it, it, I just think it's going to be an interesting weekend, and I, I think it's it's it, it, if if somebody out there has got a a new player they like that's got you know, heavy betting odds, you know, I'd go with it. <laughs> a lot, lot of people are a lot of people I saw, and this is not new by any stretch, Ted. But like a lot of people are on John Rom with this yeah. going into this weekend. Rom, I mean, you, certainly Rom would be a. A solid pick. You can't argue with you know with that whatsoever. Uh, you know, a guy that's uh, not had a lot of success, that's not played well lately, is Thomas. I always felt like Justin Thomas should be a guy that would play well at Augusta. You know, everybody keeps saying Spieth is is really close to being back, and Jordan has played well in the past at Augusta National. So those would be some guys to watch. Finau is always a guy to watch. You know, in these big tournaments, so it's just it should be an interesting weekend. It, it the, the thing too is going to be the weather. I mean, it's believe it or not, it's supposed to be warmer here in Central Indiana this weekend than it is in Augusta. The high down there is supposed to be 52 degrees on Saturday. It's supposed to be windy, not much warmer, maybe in the low 60s on Sunday. They're supposed to get a lot of rain. And the golf course is going to play very, very difficult, I think, in in some respects. So, who knows what will happen in those conditions? That's um, yeah. That that does that bring nearly everybody back down to an equal level? Even if you're playing hot, if you're a, an odds-on favorite to win, maybe you've you know won something recently. You've been on that hot streak. Does that kind of bring everybody back down together? Well, I think one thing it does is it gives the edge to the longer hitters. Because the golf course is soft, you're not going to get any roll. So the, the guys that can bomb it are the guys that I think are, are going to have a big advantage. You know, one of the interesting things, I, I uh, saw an interview with Matt Kuchar, and you know he was talking about how they mow the fairways there, for example. And I think listeners would find this interesting. They, they mow the fairways so the grain is – facing the tee. In other words, the grass would be leaning towards the tee as you're hitting tee balls. And they do that purposely so that when a ball lands and it starts to roll out, it's it's going against the grain and they won't, right. they won't get as much pull out on tee shots like that. They do everything they can to make the golf course play long as it is. Um, so 
the wetness is, is definitely going to uh, lie to the advantage of the long hitters. The other thing, it'll be interesting, there's been a lot of talk about 13 coal and, you know, how they've lengthened that hole and, and what club players are, you know, going to try to hit into the uh, the green with their second shots, if they even do, based on ground conditions and wind and all that kind of stuff. So that hole's going to play different than what it has in the past. They they lengthened the 15th hole, the other par five, on the back nine last year. And uh, I think I heard today that um, there might not have been any eagles on, on Sunday uh, a year ago. So uh, it, it'll, it'll be uh, – It'll be a test. It'll, it'll really be a test. Um, be fun to watch. So Ted Bishop, the former PGA of America president, he's the golf pro down at Legends in Franklin, the uh, head golf coach over at Franklin, too, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How do you view Tiger Woods in this, you know, this particular th- tournament? Yeah, well, I, I think physically he's going to have a real hard time um, as the week goes on. And, uh, you know, he, he's talked a little bit about that already. I mean, it's he's limited his practice round uh, action. And if it's wet, that's the tough golf course to walk. It's, it's interesting to hear, for me, when you look at, at athletes and other sports <laughs> and you look at the physicality of other sports and to hear these professional golfers talk about how hard a walk this golf course is. Now, they're not packing their bags. Um, they're just out there walking. And uh, But for those guys to talk, who are then they're, you know, well-conditioned athletes, but for them to talk about how tough the walk is, you put a guy like Woods in there who's got obvious physical issues, and I, I think it's going to be real difficult for him to be much of a factor. I, I would say if he makes the cut, that that would be phenomenal. Hey, Ted, one final thing, too, about you know the whole live splintering off. Uh, you mentioned one of the effects, and you believe that that's a positive, and I would agree with you, is the upstarts, the younger golfers that are giving more of an opportunity, and you see their game kind of coming together at a high level uh, quicker than what it normally would be. Um, has it been all positive, positive, negative? How, how have you viewed those that have splintered off to live over the past year plus here? Yeah, well, I would say this. I, I want to put a plug in for a podcast that Brian Hammonds, who I know has, has done some work for the We station. love Brian Hammonds here, yes. Well, yeah, Brian and I are doing a, uh, a podcast twice a month, um, and we started this in November, and we've had some great guests on there, and we just had Tom Watson on mm. this week and uh, Lanny Watkins a couple of weeks ago, and, and you know, we've talked about things like this, and I think the predominant thought, uh, from people that have been on the PGA Tour, like those two great players have been, is that there have been some really good things that have come out of this for PGA Tour players. And obviously, purse increases uh, has been one. Now, one thing that I think is a problem uh, with these purse increases is this. You've now got eight elevated events a year on the PGA Tour, one of which, for example, was the Arnold Palmer classic Arnold Palmer Invitational a couple of weeks ago at Bay Hill. The Memorial is another example. These are tournaments now that have a $20 million purse. The Players' Championship has a $25 million purse. It's the richest tournament in all of golf. Of course, the PGA Tour owns that tournament. You've got the PGA Championship, for example, one of the four majors, with a $15 million purse a year ago. Well, that's $5 million less than one of these eight elevated 
events at $20 million. And what's interesting to me about that GMB is my last year as president, we increased the purse in the PGA Championship from $8 million to $10 million. And, and for a period of time, it was the richest major of the four. And since 2014, the PGA of America has increased that purse by $5 million, which is a 50% increase in the purse. And yet they sit there today along with the other majors and they're $5 million less than what these elevated events are on the PGA Tour and $10 million less than the Players' Championship. So I think it's really put the major championships in a little bit of a quandary from a financial standpoint. And uh, certainly the PGA Tour players have, have benefited from it. And I'm not sure that anything will ever happen that will repair the reputational damage that, that Phil Mickelson has suffered through all this. But I think that maybe some of the initial things that he said about the PGA Tour and what their financial resources were, they certainly came true when they realigned how they're running some of these tournaments. It's uh, Ted Bishop right there. And your podcast with Brian Hammonds, how do people find it? They can listen to your conversation with Lanny Watkins or Tom Watson. Where can they find that? They can find those podcasts on uh, our website, thelegendsgolfclub.com. They can find that uh, podcast uh, anywhere they listen to uh, podcasts. And uh, we started these in November, and and we've had a great lineup of guests. We had Dottie Pepper. We had Doc Giffen, who was Arnold Palmer's longtime assistant. We had Andy North, Lanny Watkins. A couple weeks ago, we had Chip Brewer, CEO of Callaway Golf. Watson, um, it's been fun. Between Brian and I, we've got pretty good contacts in the golf end of it, and uh, I've enjoyed working with him. Great contacts in the golf end of it. For real, right there. And everything going okay at the Legends right now? Yeah, we just need some sunshine and dry weather, man. <laughs> Tell you what, needed lights this morning. I got up at about 5 o'clock in the morning. It was 76 degrees outside. I'm thinking, yeah. man, it's ridiculously warm. It's been crazy, for sure. Hey, buddy, I appreciate you. And uh, we'll check in, especially next week, if anything uh, certainly happens this weekend, of uh, something we needed sorted out by you, because there's nobody better in doing that around here, Ted. I appreciate you more than you know. Hey, thanks for, uh, for calling me. I always enjoy talking to you, JMB. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Well, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, friend of the show, he is Greg Raystraw, who may or may not be walking in the rain like Orange Juice Jones this afternoon around central Indiana. How you doing? I'm good, buddy. Now, was Michael's last name spelled C-M-E-H-I-L? Yes. That correct? Yes. That would be Smayhill. Smayhill. say Michael's last name. How do you get Smayhill out of that? that? It, you would know that if you would shut up and get to me in a quicker fashion. <laughs> 
That's a hell of a segue you got there, Radio Vet. Well, well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well done. That, that is a that is a very common Ritter last name. Yes, That's how I know how to say that. Yes, Saint my at Saint Mike football. I love football. See, there you go. Good Saint dude, Michael right that, there. That feed that feeds into Ritter High School. There you go. Gotcha. So Michael is the winner, and it's all. I don't know if you've been back to my desk recently, but it's a liquor store back there right now. That's been the case, John, since 2006, and that was two buildings ago. Let's not lie about this. There's a lot back there right now. Hey, I want to bring you on. It seemed to me, and maybe I'm wrong about this, and you certainly can clarify, seems like that there uh, are an odd amount of really good basketball head coaching gigs open as we ended the season nearing a couple of weeks ago. Is that true? Yes. I mean, I, I had this stat queued up, so I have this number off the top of my head, and I never got to it in the 4A championship game. But I think there was something to the tune of like 2,000 wins that was exiting Indiana high school basketball coaching. And that was as of March 25th. There have been more that have jumped on that group. So I still don't know if the Al Rhodes news is official at Penn, uh, but, but I had heard during the season this was likely his last year. But of the ones that we know locally, Bill Zickapike, Al Gooden at Lawrence Central. Again, I, I think Mark James is coaching someplace else next year. We just know it's not going to be at Perry Meridian. Right. Um, a, a guy like Aaron Spaulding did a great job at Eastern Hancock, won his 300th game earlier this year. There are other guys like uh, Dave Malosnik up at, at Lake Central, uh, Brandon Lafferman, who is involved with Finch Creek Fieldhouse, that's stepping aside from his coaching days at university. We're just kind of in this period of transition uh, where there's a lot of coaches that, you know, are, have done this for 30, 40 years and have said that's enough. And there are other guys that are saying, I've done this for 20 years and I'm going to go spend more time with my family now. And so I, I, I frankly think for a variety of reasons, we're going to see less guys that coach for 30 and 40 years like we have seen for the better part of not just the last four decades, but well beyond that too. Is this a product of some of a landslide of? the negative that has been going on surrounding just being a coach to a degree what we see with trying to officiate these games how much does that play a role there is more parent bs that you have to deal with but there's also just simply a different view of life you know these guys that that coach for so long you know they they maybe didn't spend that much time at home i I think that's viewed a little bit differently than maybe it was 20, 30 years ago. Um, you think about spending more quality time with family members. Uh, you're less likely to sacrifice that than you were a generation or two ago to kind of do this. Um, and, again, some of these guys that are stepping away have had these long and wonderful careers, and they're like, listen, I, you know, I'm in my mid-60s now. It's, it's, it's time to you know, kick the feet up a little bit uh, and, and, and enjoy life. So, some of this is just, you know, the natural progression you would see anyway, regardless of anything else that was happening in and around the community. So it's never just one thing. It's probably a variety of, of different reasons as to why this is the case. What's the most valued gig out there right now, in your opinion? Because I think you probably called the game of about every of these schools we're talking about out there. So right. which, which gig is the most coveted, in your opinion, that's open right now? Of the, of the ones that are local, um, University's already been filled, and, and that's not normally a place that you talk about first. Their girls' coach is going over to be the boys' coach, but they have won an average of basically 15 to 20 games, seemingly, on both the girls' and boys' side at the two-way level over the last few years. And they've got a young man named Sabian Kane 
that's a junior level Indiana All Star. University might make a run in two A next year, but that one has already been has already been taken. Um, of the trio of Mick openings, uh, you know they're all about equal to me. You know Pike probably has more back than anybody else. They lose Devin Woods, um, who's a pretty solid basketballer, was was under consideration for the All-Star team, but they bring back Cam Caskey. They had a sophomore guard whose name escapes me. They haven't had, like, these dominant classes at Pike. They've kind of had a, a star player in each class, so that kind of continues. Lawrence Central loses a lot of seniors as Al Gooden walks away. Warren Central has some pieces back but, but loses some key seniors as DeAndre Davis walks away. I think mean, his departure is really simple. His boys are playing at Seton Hall. He wants to go watch them play, and I understand that completely. So of, of the local big school jobs, probably Pike comes to mind. If, if you And these guys are four, but they're not Marion County. Mount Vernon is loaded. They started three freshmen this year. So after a team that graduated almost their entire roster, they were well over 500 this year, and they'll bring everybody really but kind of one key player back. So if you get outside of Marion County, probably Mount Vernon you know, catches your attention. What's a good spot, and I would agree with you regarding Mark James continuing moving forward yeah. someplace else, what's a good spot for his boots moving forward? I've had some people think it's Mount Vernon. I've had some people think it could be Warren Central. Um, I, I immediately thought that maybe – Mark finds a 1A or a 2A opening, um, you know, kind of in the metro area and, and, and potentially goes there. Uh, now, Eastern Hancock was filled immediately in Brett Bechtel taking that job, and that was, I think, locked up yesterday. Uh, I believe that was the case. Uh, but, but basically, Mark, Mark will go wherever Mark wants to go and wherever a place says, okay, you don't have to be an active, he's going to retire from teaching. You know, to be an active teacher here to coach this basketball team, uh, my guess is he will kind of have his 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 uh, pick of the of the litter in terms of where he could go to be a high school basketball coach next. It's a Greg Raystraw here via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Don Carlisle, you know very well, an yep. unbeaten season for Ben Davis. We have not had a chance to talk about this legacy-wise. I always bring this up. Where does this year's Ben Davis team go down in history? Is it going to be one of those things where we get further away and rejoice upon it, prop it up uh, even more? Where, where does it stand right now to you? They deserve to be up there amongst the best single-season basketball teams in the history of Indiana high school basketball. No team has won more games in an undefeated season than Ben Davis did. Um, Again, 15 or 16 of those wins came against teams in the top 25 of the Sagarin ratings. I think 25 of their 33 wins came against teams in the top 64. They own victories over the teams rated 2 through 9 in the computer polls. So nobody has done what they have done against the schedule they played. I don't know if they will eventually be remembered like a 69 Indianapolis, Washington, or a 71 East Chicago, Washington, or uh, say the undefeated team of Perry and Purple Rain, or whatever you think the best of the three teams were that won state championships at Lawrence North between Odin and Conley, because there's not likely... A, a star breakout major college player of that group. What that group was, was the absolute perfect melding of the pieces. Everybody knew what their job was. They didn't rely on one player. There was a dominant factor, you'd say, Zane Dowdy, because so few teams could replicate 6'8", 6'9", and 230. 
but you know he he was their leading scorer at 14 points a game. They had one game all year, John, where a player scored more than 23 points as an individual. That is the ultimate team championship that Ben Davis and Don Carlisle put together. And again, they should be up there in the say top five to ten individual seasons in the history of Indiana high school basketball. Has uh, Dowdy decided where he's going to school? I know he reopened after Valpo made right. that coaching change. Not yet, and, and, and most of his offers have come kind of from the mid-major variety. So it would not, and, and again, kind of knowing the family, it would not surprise me if he stays local. So whether it's Ball State, IUPUI, not sure if Indiana State is, is kind of in on that. I'm not sure if Zane's a good enough outside shooter knowing the way that Josh Schertz wants to play. If Zane wants to go someplace, I'd, I'd be interested if Zane wants to talk to you, uh, you know, so to speak. But my guess is he's going to a Mid-American Horizon League, Missouri Valley Conference level would be my guess. He is Greg Rakestraw with us. Before I let you go, anybody left off the Indiana All-Star team that we could talk about here, or does it all look pretty legit, according to you? And I have not had a chance to talk to Mike Broughton, um, you know, in, in the last couple of days. Other He had a health procedure yesterday, so was, other than making sure he was doing well and wished him all right, I'm like, we can talk better business later um if the fact that jerron tibbs is not on the team tells me either the purdue football coaching staff did not release him to play or he said hey i'm good i'm going to focus on football going forward that's the one i'd say glaring or most notable omission and i would assume there is a story behind that there is always a group of you know there's 13 spots there's probably 20 to 25 guys that probably legitimately were under consideration for this. Um, so you, you can point to the Woods kid from Hammond Central that maybe should have been on there, but then I'd say, who do you take off of that group? And not to speak for Mike Broughton, because the guy that, that you know is the game director, he is my partner for probably 20 games during the course of the year, and we've known each other for a long time, and, and he talks pretty candidly to me about the process. So not to speak for him, but I will say this. His M.O. has basically been, hey, there's about eight, nine, or ten guys that we're going to put on the team because they're the best eight, nine, or ten players. After that, we are going to fill specific roles with maybe areas that we don't think we're as deep at, but with the idea of this is a team we are putting together, and our number one objective is to beat Kentucky. And as someone who grew up literally in the line of sight of Kentucky, I like this little winning streak that we in Indiana are on. So it may not always be the 12 or 13 best players that play on this team, but it's usually the top nine or ten and then maybe two other three guys that fit specific roles with the idea of continuing to dominate the World Series of high school basketball. Mike Shrewsbury, will that change a bit the dynamic of recruiting in this state that he's at Notre Dame now? I think it will slightly, and we always kind of refer to Notre Dame as, you know, yeah, they're in Indiana, but, but I mean, think about this. Mike Bray had a good amount of Indiana kids on that roster. Uh, it wasn't necessarily every year. It seemed like they were all up there, though, right? They were South Bend, Fort Wayne, kind of in, you know, the armpit yeah, up there, all that, right? Fair no? enough. Chris Thomas is from Pike. Oh, um, well, we're going back that far? I'm sorry. No hell. Austin, that's okay. Austin Burgett from Avon. <laughs> yeah, you get okay. to play a lot, but 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 was a local product that was up there. You're just there to show me up. Stop showing me up. Come on, man. <laughs> this is what happens when you shut up and get to me quicker, John. This is what happens. Uh, hey, go ahead. You're right. A, a, a lot of them of recent vintage, you know, you know Blake Wesley, 
uh, even Luke Heron go to, you know, being a region guy, V.J. Beecham, being a Fort Wayne guy, you're right, not surprisingly, most of those guys are from north of U.S. 24. But does this potentially open up um, more of central Indiana to go to Notre Dame? I absolutely could see that happening, John. Absolutely. All right, what you got working this weekend? You got any downtime now, or are you back full throttle again? Oh, my downtime was last week when I was uh, when I when I was supposed to talk with you. Yeah. So I was I'm always excited to talk to Schultz. However, I was disappointed that was last Tuesday because John, I was doing that from the press box at Bob Warren Field as I get ready to do ESPN Plus's call of Indiana State and Purdue last Tuesday. Since we haven't talked in the last couple of weeks. Yesterday, I was supposed to be on with you. I was busy doing college softball. Right. Tomorrow, college baseball. More college softball on Friday. High school softball on Saturday. Indy 11 soccer on Saturday. So, uh... I don't have a real job, but my downtime is officially over, my friend. That is well done. Out of Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, and as history will show from today, i got to get to him quicker. My bad. We're good. It gives me more time to hear the finely crafted commercial messages, oh, most beautiful. of which feature your voice as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm sure I'll talk with you on Saturday night. I will talk to you on my way home from Indy 11 Soccer late in the 9 o'clock hour on Saturday. Be good. Yeah. Take it easy, Greg. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. From the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Kevin Bowen, he does join us. No surprise there, but I guess with Newman, there's no surprise. Are you surprised we haven't heard anything concretely regarding Zach Eady's short term? Yeah, I am. Um, and, and I get that, you know, Trey Shaffin Davis just declared. I mean, Jalen Huchifino declared earlier in the week. So, you know, I understand there's some guys that have waited, you know, here post-Final Four to make their announcements. And if I'm not mistaken, that they still have a couple of weeks to go. I don't know on the ED front if this is, like, NIL-related. You know, is he looking, like, for some, you know, confirmation on that end of it? Um, that would be my guess. Maybe I'm just kind of grasping at straws a little bit there. But you would think, you know, potentially the ED decision, you know, could have a trickle-down effect on like a Trey Kaufman-Wren or, you know, somebody like that. So, um, yeah, the Newman one, not surprising at all. Frankly, I thought there was a chance he would enter the portal before this year. It just seemed like he was one that was, you know, at times, given his talent, leaving Valpo, you thought he was maybe a little bit buried on the depth chart there. But, um yeah, I just didn't really put it all together. And obviously minutes weren't a total given for him in West Lafayette either. Yeah, when, regarding 82, and you bring up you know, Kaufman Wren, he's not going to get any more clock than he got last year if he comes back. So right, again, right. knowing nothing about it right now, you would have to think that that would be a major option for him if he you know, does, you know, let everybody in on that decision to come back. And then, you know, moving forward with Edie, I don't know what, what other decision might he make here. I don't know what his play is. 
you know, outside of, you know, you know, an overseas opportunity. I don't even know where that is right there. I know that, you know, the, the, the Boilermakers made up, and I forget what it's called, the Boilermaker Alliance or whatever it is right now to make sure that, you know, he um, adequately gets paid uh, via the NIL. So I don't know what what his play might be other than going back at this point in time. Yeah, I, I was trying to think. Maybe it was Tom Deanhardt or Rob Rob Blackman. I, I forget who we had on. You know, about a month ago or so. Because I know there are some restrictions nil wise yeah. on your international students, like Adama Sinogo, the big dude from UConn. I, I think has faced a little bit of that as well. Right. I think Oscar Shibway might have had a hurdle or two to clear at Kentucky. So again, I don't know if that is a factor, but yeah, I mean Kaufman Wren. Yeah, I mean, certainly he's not going to see the floor anymore if Edie does come back. And I think you do have to wonder if that would impact him. I know it's not the exact same scenario, but, you know, Jordan Geronimo in Bloomington, like it, last year he flirted with transferring big time. And I was a little surprised that he came back considering Ray Thompson and Trace Jackson Davis both came back this past season at Indiana. And obviously you saw Geronimo, he kind of got – and I'm not going to act like his play deserved, you know, 20 minutes a night, but he got pinched out of the rotation there. Malik Renew's arrival certainly contributed to some of that. So, yeah, with how, you know, in typical college basketball teams are going and really only playing one big, if that, um, I am curious of the portal news we would have heard from West Lafayette. To me, it was Newman and then potentially you know, some guy in the front court if Edie comes back. Yeah, it's it's going to be. And I, more of the portal news is in Bloomington because it's a major necessity with what they're losing down there um, in, in terms of points and rebounds and, and everything. And obviously, Jalen Huchifino as well. I, I, I wonder how long, you know, once they do solidify that, you know that they're going to get, you know, some love from the transfer portal that's going to be helping them out. I kind of wonder, because it seems like, it. Kev, does it not to have a great deal of success? I mean, there's a lot of relatability, connectability that we saw in this NCAA tournament that's withstood that, that test and all these tests from teams. You know, most of those teams I think you would look at in that Final Four were all very related and connected for a longer period of time. I, I don't know about assembling something. I know that UConn made changes and brought guys in but it seems like when you have to go that far out to build that team, it seems like uh, long odds on seeing that thing positively in terms of what you and your fan base wants come to fruition. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point that you bring up. You know, I saw some people you know, making the comparison to like Danny Hurley and UConn and, you know, needing to have patience in Bloomington with Mike Woodson. And, you know, if you look at Hurley, at Connecticut, it was the end of year two where that recruiting class, he got Sonogo and then he got Andre Jackson. And if you've watched UConn, I mean, hell, just watch him Monday night. But if you watched them all this year, I mean, Jackson and Sonogo were the guy. I mean, they are the main guys. You listen to Danny Hurley talk about their team. They are the guys from a leadership standpoint. And then the next recruiting class, they got Jordan Hawkins, who, you know, has, a, I think, a very good chance to be a lottery pick. Um, the other starter, uh, Alex Caravan, came from that recruiting class. So when you look at how UConn got to this point, it was the end of year two, end of year three, back-to-back kind of two-man recruiting duos that built to this point to where now, you know, in their second, third seasons at UConn, boom, here they are, a, a great team all year long, and then obviously put it all together in the tournament. 
And, and you, you just can't say that about what Woodson has right now in Bloomington. That trajectory isn't necessarily there um, because you look at the additions that are going to impact the team next year. It, it's pretty much all portal based. And, and that is, I think, more difficult. Even Miami had, you know, Jordan Miller on campus for a year via the portal. Uh, Isaiah Wong was a guy that they had recruited and, and you know, wasn't through the portal. So it, it, you have to, I think, still have you know, some homegrown talent, if you will. And, and that's why I honestly think if you're talking about Indiana, it, you know, guys like C.J. Gunn, guys like Caleb Banks, I mean, they are so critical to giving you that next level and being a second weekend team, you know, continuing to be building off where you finished this year in the Big Ten because, you know, the portal is not all gold. And, I mean, hell, Indiana Purdue can look at it themselves and realize that they haven't struck gold in, in every single instance of it. So you have to have some homegrown. I think Malik Renew, you obviously feel good about. But, you know, Banks in terms of, you know, a little bit more of kind of that modern, you know, athlete that can do a lot of things for you. Obviously, gun scoring ability, a shooting ability we all saw here locally. You know, if that can continue to grow and develop – I think those are such important pieces to building something because you can't just have the end-all, be-all, be the portal. But right now, for Indiana, I mean, when you bring back – Yeah, it's a major lean. There's no doubt. Yeah. I mean, they bring back – I was looking it up the other day. They bring back – what was it? They scored – I think they scored 69 against uh, Miami. They bring back eight of those 69 points. Yeah. Uh, I think Galloway had eight, Renew had zero, and that's that's what you're bringing back. So – uh, it's kind of the reality of where you're at right now, but at the same time, you talk about on your own roster, boy, Banks and uh, Gunn are just huge. That's right, uh, Kevin Bowen, the morning show, 7 until 10 a.m. Uh, you're going to get a sports arousal with Shrewsbury on tomorrow morning? Is that going to be your sports arousal? Man, I, you know, breathing a little heavily. Um, yeah, 9.30 there for Micah Shrewsbury. You got Micah Shrewsbury at 9.30. You've got Tiger Woods teeing off at 10.15. My goodness. Man, yeah. What, wow. when, do, when do they say call your doctor? Yeah. I mean, I, it may last longer than four hours for you, your sports arousal, <laughs> coming up tomorrow. Well, you know, yeah. Typically, uh, t- Tiger's rounds nowadays do last a little bit longer than four with uh, how slow he's moving. Did uh, I, I want to go back and listen to it. Did Ted Bishop give you a, uh, give you a pick for the Masters? Um, he, no, he he did not. He just gave me some guys that he thought could be there. He thinks that the weather is going to play the biggest role there and that the heavy hitting guys are going to have certainly an edge because it's going to be cooler and wet and those long hitters are going to have the edge. So he did not give me a pick, but uh, he gave me a group certainly to watch in this. And I don't know about you. I know you're a golf fan. I kind of hope yeah, it's it's the Masters, and and I guess ultimately, who really cares? I mean, they're all going after that particular prize and the green jacket. But at the same time, do you kind of hope that there's a little bit of angst between, you know, LIV players and PGA players? And I do. I kind of hope there's a little bit of it. I kind of like that. Yeah, I, you know, I've made it pretty clear. I've got a really strong disdain towards the guys that that, that went to live and and. Um, you know, kind of what all that stands for. But I also can sit here and realize, like, for golf and entertainment, there would be no better storyline than yeah. Sunday. It's Rory McIlroy, insert live player here, dueling out on the back nine. I mean, that would be – and obviously Tiger Phil would be the ultimate dream, but uh, you got to live in a dose of reality here. And, you know, there's a question that we had Will Haskett on earlier this week, John, and I said to him, what would be better for the game of golf? 
would it be Tiger Woods winning or would, would it be a live player winning? And that might be a bit of an extreme. You know, Tiger obviously moves the needle like no other. But if you talk like five to ten years down the road and let's say Tiger's shelf life of competitive golf is certainly not going to be that long, uh, it, it might be creating this little bit of a live PGA Tour rivalry. And, you know, Jake can probably speak to it a little bit, certainly better than I, but, you know, IRL cart and you think about that, if you do have the ability to create some venom nature in golf, that would probably do wonders for the casual fan, uh, especially when you get out of the Masters, when it's not such appointment viewing like it is, you know, on, on an annual basis. Uh, my, my heart still wants to see all the live guys shoot a million, to be totally honest with you. But if I am going to look at it from a pure, like, entertainment, storyline, drama standpoint, yeah, you put a live golfer up there, particularly one that has a – has you know, like a Patrick Reed or a Bryson DeChambeau. Oh, you know, yeah. Sort of I mean, can you imagine like a, a Rory versus um, you know, Kepka or DeChambeau, something like that, on that yeah. final round? That'd be pretty sweet. That'd be great. You know, it, you think back to the British Open last year, you had Rory and Cameron Smith going back and forth. At the time, Cameron Smith had not declared yeah. his intentions to go to live. And Cameron Smith, you know, by all accounts, is a pretty well-liked guy. So if you've got a live player that has a little bit more of the, yeah, I already didn't like that guy anyways. Oh, yeah, because DeChambeau, DeChambeau brings an incredible douche factor to it. So that'd be perfect. Yes. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Very, yeah. Very, very well said. So I think if you're looking at storylines, that is probably what you'd want. And I think a huge storyline just all week long is how will these live guys play, you know, not to get too deep into it, but – I mean, they played last week in Orlando at a public golf course that, by all accounts, is nothing special. That's quite the cry from what Augusta National is all about. So how these guys play, how Kepka plays, Dustin Johnson, et cetera, uh, that'll be a huge thing to watch. The douchometer. Where's uh? Where's um? All right, give me give me a douchometer in sports right here. Where does uh, DeChambeau rank? Just in sports on the douchometer. Give me the hierarchy. Where do we start? Oh, he, yeah, he's high up there. He is. Um, he's like. Um, he's like a Grayson Allen. Yeah, that category. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, it was. It was brutal to watch Grayson Allen put that thing home last week here. Well, dunk home. Yeah. Seems like. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you had that. Like two of the most notable dunks this season came, I think, in the grill of Pacers. <laughs> You know, between that and the John Morant one. And wasn't that on Jordan Wara, too, the Grayson Allen one? I'm yeah. Boy, for your, yeah. Yeah, do that to your former teammate. Uh, yeah, Bryson, I, I cannot stand at all. He, he might be higher douchometer because you've got just – Is he bald? Is that why he wears that hat? Is he bald? Because um, he wears I, that hat. Is it, is it? How much of it is the hat? Does the hat matter or does the hat make it worse? Well, you know, oftentimes these guys take off the hat and you're like, man, boy, I, I didn't realize that's who you were working with up there. Uh, I actually think Bryson's got a decent head of hair. But if not, he should, you know, hit up PAI. <laughs> he should. 888 We grow air Bryson DeChambeau. 
You don't have to wear that hat everywhere like that. <laughs> you got a pick. I mean, are you going? Are you going with the obvious? Roy, Roy McIlroy. That's who I brought up a little bit earlier. I, I want to see. I want to see like a final round. I want to see one of those live golfers and like I mentioned the Duchamiter with with DeChambeau, but one of those those live golfers matched up in you know in the same. Yeah, threesome going down the stretch, for example, with Rory. I think that'd be awesome. That'd give me even more of a reason to watch. Yeah, and obviously the Masters, the one major he has yet to win, so you you throw that storyline on top of it. And, you know, he had, for moments of that British Open last year at St. Andrews, it looked like it was, you know, his to lose. And then Cameron Smith made an incredible run at him, and Rory couldn't make a single putt, which typically seems to be the case on Sunday. So, yeah, from a – what the PGA Tour commissioner Jay Monahan wants, and honestly, probably what the Green Jackets at Augusta National want, I, I would think a Roy McIlroy title would be uh, close to the top of the list. Greg Norman got not getting the invite. You got an issue with that, or you love it? Um, I, I, I probably love it. To be honest with you, again, Norman's kind of worn me out. Um, I think a lot of this—I could be totally off base on this. I think a lot of this just stems from Nor- Norman's career. You know, he, he just. He, the fact that he's always kind of viewed as the one that you know couldn't complete all the talent that he had, couldn't get it done. And I, you, could, you might look at this a little bit like Mickelson. I obviously won a lot of majors, but you know the elusive U.S. Open and you know kind of always playing second fiddle to Tiger. I, I think a lot of this stems from that. Like they want to go do something on their own. They want to you know whatever try to change what the game of golf is all about. And I think it's just a little bit of bitterness with with all of it there. All right, so the Colts playing, they got two of them, I believe, right? Two of them. Uh, I always get updates on the Colts jet and where it is. Southern California, we know that was Stroud and Young with a workout. Uh, they went to Utah, I believe, with the uh, Hall, the BYU quarterback, correct? And now they're in they're in Florida right now in Gainesville, correct? That's right, and then tomorrow it's Lexington, right? Yeah. For Levis. Yeah, they're uh, they're certainly checking the boxes there and making the rounds. And um, yeah, the, the Jaron Hall BYU one, I'm not 100 percent sure what that is. Yeah, I'm going off of one game against Notre Dame, but I wasn't too impressed by him this past fall. Um, yeah, to me, it's it, it probably comes down to Richardson and Levis, and the question for me is what. What is the question mark you have about each of them? And do you feel like that question mark is teachable? You know, in Richardson's case, it's probably the accuracy. Do you feel like 54% is something you can teach and you can correct? Because that is a very eye-popping, ugly number. And then for Levis, it is the, you know, processing footwork. He's got a really high turnover number. And is that teachable? Can you correct that? Uh, do you factor in age? I think there's about a, I want to say it's a three or four year age gap between Levis being the older one, Richardson being the younger one. How much should that play into it? Um, so for me, I think that's what so much of this week is about and why they need to rely on the opinion of Shane Sykin a whole lot in completing this process and, and deciding um, what they want. All right, this is kind of a, a perfect world thing because until we see, you know, actual evidence 
basically the Colts world right now is in a belief that Shane Steichen can mold, you know, any form of quarterback into whatever he wants to right now. So I guess that would beg the question, again, hypothetically, would you rather see him try to mold Levis into what you believe he can be or Richardson? Because when I asked that question, I think that that answer around here would be easy. Would you agree? And that would be Richardson. Yeah, I think obviously Richardson is the most, and I guess to continue down the clay analogy, is the most moldable in the sense of he's just got stuff that he can't teach. And that is so intriguing. That's so enticing. Um, if you're able to tap into that, you've got a player that we just haven't really seen in the NFL. The, the question for me, again, goes back to is what Richardson lacks right now, is that teachable? And for me, accuracy is just a really hard thing to teach, particularly in going from the college level to the NFL level. Like, I think when we watch college football right now, I mean, so much of it is just like, you know, quick screens and quick reads and a lot of just line of scrimmage throws or, you know, nothing too you know, far down the field. And, you know, if you look at a guy like Levis, I do think you will have seen a little bit more of like, all right, these throws you typically see on Sundays in the NFL, and when you're talking accuracy, uh, that is just really difficult for me to sit here and think that is a super teachable trait. Now, Shane Steichen at the Combine said that he thinks it is something that you can teach. Um, So obviously he would probably differ with that. I just don't know if that is something that I would be wanting to bet on. I understand that, again, you, you can't teach, obviously, the raw athletic traits he has, you know, if he played any other position, you'd probably go with those traits and bank on those. But at quarterback, mm, it's Kev, not risky in my eyes. Kev, I try not to get enamored with these pro days. But last week, and I, I mentioned this on the air last Thursday, after watching that, I it was jaw-dropping. Just his size, how he moves, how quick he is. His athleticism, I mean, all of it is beyond ridiculous. Would you rather them take a chance on that beyond ridiculous than do that? A similar chance on Levis, who may be at least quicker and more ready-made to start in year number one? Because clearly Richardson's not going to be ready, right? I mean, he's not going to be ready in year number one, correct? Do we do we at least say that? Well, yeah, I mean, he's not going to be ready. I guess the question then becomes, do you feel like – to get ready, he needs to play. You know, I, I can listen to both sides of the conversation. You know, Peyton Manning would tell you, play. Um, yeah. Patrick Mahomes would say, sit. <laughs> and it obviously worked out pretty well for, for each of them in, in two different ways. Again, Richardson has so much that obviously physically is incredibly gifted, but I would argue at quarterback, so much of what you need and what is truly special is, you know, just – neck up and just kind of the innate ability that you don't see in a combine testing. You don't see in a track meet, you know, Richardson's stock has risen because he's in shorts and a t-shirt. And and that to me, it's dangerous. Does it offer more potential? Sure. But to me, you got to find the combination of like somewhat high floor and also a high ceiling. Um, That is kind of how I view it. I've certainly heard people and, and you probably fall into this boat where, Look at the AFC right now. 
just average quarterback play isn't going to get it done. You need to try and hit an absolute grand slam at quarterback to thrive in this conference for the next decade. So I can hear people out on that. Um, but if you were going to make me pick one or the other, I, I'd probably side with Levis. I wouldn't say I'm super enamored by um, really either, to be honest. I, I'm much more in the Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud camp, but yeah, I fully understand that that's not going to be possible in all likelihood. So if you would make me pick on one of those two, uh, I'd probably go with Levis. You know, it's funny about this entire thing. Even if you have a quarterback that's unready to play and it takes a little while, and I'm not suggesting that the fans are going to be thrilled, but I mean, having Menchu here to a degree, I mean, you you hear and read what the fans say. There is a really weird, and I think at times uncalled for level of excitement about having him here. I, I don't really know what that is or what that means, but I think if you're going to look at it in one specific way, it is a bit of a cushion where fans seem to be cool with that as a starter at the beginning if you really truly want to try to work somebody in as slowly as possible. I mean, I don't buy it, but it's just weird, that that weird kind of vibe you get from fans here where, hey, they're pretty happy about Gardner Minshew to a degree where I think you and I probably aren't, but it's odd. Yeah. And it's real. I'm sure. Yeah, it is. I'm sure some of it just kind of has to do with, like, Minshew and, I don't know, and the mania and the fact that you've watched him in Jacksonville or you watched him in Philly. And, and his mustache football. and all that stuff. Sure, right? yeah. yeah, all of that. I, yeah, I mean, to me, I, it, it's a nice pickup. I, I I think he would check, you know, a lot of the backup boxes for why you would want him here. Um, I, I don't really care, <laughs> to be totally frank, like – whether it does it influence the next 10 years of this organization? No. I mean, hell, even if contract is only for one year. Um, I mean, honestly, like if for some reason they do, which I, I don't even know why we go down the hypothetical, but let, let's say for some reason that they don't take a quarterback, you know, people are just going to be hating Minshew if all of a sudden, you know, you win six or seven games next year and now you're out of the Caleb Williams, Drake May sweepstakes based off you know winning too much here but again I think he's a fine quarterback for what you want you want someone that obviously knows Shane Sykin played a lot as a rookie 12 starts Um, don't think he's very high maintenance so I think that is important for a backup QB but yeah I mean outside of he potentially could be your starter for 2023 I I don't I don't really understand like a major infatuation with him you would draft Levis over Richardson yeah, I, I probably would. Um, again, I'm not – and I get it. Like, in our shoes, we need to have these, like, staunch, overwhelming opinions on this sort of situation, and, and I just don't. You know, I, I could probably be talked into Richardson, but um, to me, the accuracy is just a really tough number to get over, really tough number. And I hear a lot of people that are like, look at Lamar Jackson, look at Cam Newton. You know, those are the quick comparisons. And I'm like, do people forget what Lamar Jackson and Cam Newton did in college football? I mean, we're talking Heisman Trophy national champions, like national champion in Cam's case. Like, I mean, that is incredible. Anthony Richardson was 54% and 6-6. and So I I just – I can't fully get around the – without question, it would be Richardson. Yeah, I I was trying to think about this. What would be the worst-case scenario if you draft one – and the other 
plays well? Would it be if you draft Richardson and Levis um, plays well or if you draft Levis and Richardson plays well? Because I, I guess you would side with Richardson because his ceiling seems to be with his athleticism, especially in the AFC in that quarterback league right now, that quarterback conference right now to where – Right, that would be much worse if you sw- if you swing and miss with an opportunity on Richardson. That's going to be a larger stain than if you switch that around with Levis. Yeah, that, that's probably true. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Honestly, what would be the worst case scenario would be you draft one of the two, and they show you whatever they I mean hell they, they have a Peyton Manning type rookie season I mean Peyton didn't have a great rookie season at all I mean led you know led the NFL and set a rookie record in, in, in picks and and then you think there's more there so you bypass the opportunity to get a Caleb Williams or a Drake May in next year's draft and you stick with that guy and then the guy doesn't work out then the guy becomes you know whatever I don't know oh you think Caleb Boy, you think that's playing a role in this the Caleb Williams next year? No, I, I I don't think it will, and I don't think it should. But I'm just thinking, like, what would be the worst case scenario? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For the next like ten years, okay, it would be you draft one of the two. They they either don't play or they don't play great as rookies. You're in a position to draft a Williams or a Drake May. You don't do it. You stick with a Levis or a Richardson for year two, thinking there's more there, and then it doesn't pan out. And you have Trubisky, you have, you know, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, you know, whatever these top five quarterbacks are that that haven't worked out here um, lately. That would be the worst case. I know I'm kind of combining both the years, but that would be kind of the kiss of death of being in the top ten multiple seasons and not coming away with a franchise quarterback. Weird. That is weird. You know what's funny? The, the one thing that keeps getting mentioned to me, and I don't know if you like hear some of the same stuff, is you know, leadership quality. And oftentimes I go, yeah, whatever. And then I see somebody like Richardson, and I go, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about leadership quality, but, man, that's incredible. But can he play quarterback? How, how much do you think leadership quality is a major factor in who they end up picking as their quarterback? I think it's the biggest factor. I think it's the big, especially in Shane Steichen's eyes. Easily, you know. I think if you, first off, if you look at Sykes' resume, you know it's different shapes, it's different sizes, it's different styles of quarterbacks. All three of them, uh, and, and Rivers and, and Herbert and Hurts. But the common theme he always has said, you know, for the last three months now, or you know, I guess two months since he's been on the job, is you've got to have that it factor. And, and I know we can make fun of that, and it's hard to describe so it's easy to make fun of and and leadership and culture and all of those words but it matters a ton I think at that position and I also think it clearly matters a lot to Shane Steichen so that's the one you can't measure we can't watch on NFL Network at the Combine we can't see you know throwing balls in Lexington or Gainesville at a pro day Uh, and and I, I think it's fair to say I don't think any of these four have Kyler Murray leaving Oklahoma type questions about leadership, you know, work ethic, those things. I don't think any of them, you know, you have red flags on, but it's okay. How much of it is just innate? How much of it is when they sign that second contract, they're still going to be hungry as you can imagine. That's the toughest part of this process. And I think that's what this week is all about. I think that's what Shane Steichen in particular, among others, uh, will try and, 
figure out. And that's probably what will be the separator in this class. Uh, Kevin Bowen with us. Hey, before I let you go really quick here, um, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, even with missing the postseason again. Does this seem the brightest future surrounding the Pacers moving forward as we've seen in a while here? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I, I'd call the season a roaring success. I, 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 I mean, outside of, I, I, if you want to nitpick, Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, maybe not taking the jump that you would hope. I mean, yeah, it's been a roaring success. I think they've won enough, too. I mean, we had Kristen Arion earlier with us. He pointed out some really – a ton of kind of in-game stats that I think were important. Of They've been in those moments. They've won in those moments. I mean, I get the win-loss record is obviously not going to make the playoffs, but to me, you, you still needed one more major piece. And, th- and this time next year, John, we should be talking about them as a playoff team because you, you, you can't go down the path of, you know, lottery, lottery, lottery. At some point, you, you, you obviously have to win and get used to playing in meaningful games and realizing, you know, the, the uptick in, in what the playoffs mean. But – whether it's Halliburton becoming an all-star, you know, Matherin being an NBA-level score, you know, obviously Miles and, and Buddy, and then the complimentary pieces. I mean, I think you've got three legit rotational guys in Andrew Nemhard, Aaron Neesmith, and Jordan Wara. Um, now, you still need that big wing. I mean, that is a huge part, I think, of what you've got to find coming up in the lottery. But this season, to me, went about as good as you as you could have hoped for the, for the Pacers. Tomorrow morning, it's a dream situation for Kevin Bowen. He uh, talks to Micah Shrewsbury, the new head coach at Notre Dame, because he's the only Notre Dame basketball fan in Indy. (laughs) And Tiger Woods will tee off with round number one at the Masters pretty much at the same time. So just an incredible, how should I put this, uh, morning sports arousal. Uh, I guess it would be a morning wood for you tomorrow. Yeah. Well, well said. This would yeah. be like you hitting eight threes at Southport Sunday morning. Yeah, eight threes at Southport, and then going home, and there being Skinamax back on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're home from Sunday church. Let's Skinamax. Skinamax is on, everybody. Woo! So, all right, buddy. Well done, man. We'll be listening tomorrow. I appreciate you.